The rock around which flows a thousand rivers, ever unmoving, rooted in the deep believing beating heart of humanity, appearing in guises as many as its victory, but ever the best of nature and ever the best of civility. Hero. Hey everyone, welcome back to Solacene. Thank you, Aaron, for your poem. As always, makes me smile. I did a little shout out to The Rock, my personal hero. Mm, good idea. Yeah. Figured that was the only rock you'd be referencing. No other rock. So this week we're talking about heroes. We're talking about fan fiction and we're going to be telling you about our blockbusters of the solo scene, which should be fun. Yeah, I'm really excited for that. We didn't come up with the question on air. I was just like, I really want to talk about this because it's pretty much how I spend my waking moments. Mm -hmm. It's like envisioning what kind of movies could be big in the future. I'm an aspiring producer, so I like thinking about how I can get the most bang for my buck. When I'm financing films. Okay, okay. But before we jump in, if you like listening to the podcast, we're also on YouTube and we have Instagram clips if you want to watch on there. Also, share it with your friends because we really like growing our community and we appreciate all of you who listen every week. You're all so kind and you write to us and it always makes us very happy and our hearts very full. So share us with a couple of friends or like and comment, which also is the equivalent of virtually sharing us with your friends. And finally, we have Field Notes, which is a weekly letter we send out via email to you containing our observations and photos, random other things that we want you to see because we like inundating you with things that we like. Well said. I mean, that's what the solo scene is. Mm -hmm. So with the question about protagonists and heroes, obviously, it's kind of part two to last week's discussion on villains, which I recommend people listen to also. Mm -hmm. But where did you start with this question? I just started writing my thoughts (laughs) as one does very sprawling yeah i didn't have too many because i figured you probably would have binders full binders of of, of thoughts on protagonists yeah well the thing is i i started out with the poem Mm -hmm. and i was really trying to say as much with that because I, i i don't know why i find it difficult to talk about the subject without being metaphorical or like poetic Mm -hmm. about it so i was like this is the rock i was envisioning like a stream where there's a boulder in it and it's like the waters are flowing around it. Mm-hmm. And that could be personality traits. It might be a little bit also because I'm reading Conan the Barbarian right now, or one of his one of the volumes of containing short stories with him. And he's obviously very stoic. And I feel like stoicism is a trait that we associate, especially with action heroes or mm-hmm. like movie heroes. They are them, unbreakable, and whatever flows around them, you know, mm-hmm. they are virtuous within all that. But also it's like the idea that I said in the in the poem, there's a thousand rivers. Mm-hmm. It's like there's this universal nature to the hero, which I find really fascinating in that it villains are also varied, but heroes, I feel like they're much more, there's a narrower range into which mm-hmm. they fall. So it's, it's, you could almost imagine that there's one character that we're just writing stories about mm-hmm. through all time. And that's who we're rooting for. Yeah, it could all be Jesus. Yeah, I didn't want to go if there. If you were in Sunday school, it could be <laughs> Jesus, but... I've said it before on the storytelling series about my English teacher who said everyone has one story that they relate all stories to. Some people it's the Bible, some people it's the allegory of the cave. It really just depends on your upbringing because it's often a religious story, but it might be just a universal story. And I think that's what you're getting to with the hero is like it's all one hero because really the hero is the triumph over human nature. Yeah, the person or, who or, really has a strong will and all that jazz. Or the triumph of human nature, yeah. depending on it. I mean, it's like, 
I always think with countries, it's funny because every, or places, every place likes to think of, is obviously proud of itself and proud of its people. And you say, well, what are the traits of this people? And almost every country will say the exact same thing. <laughs> strong. Yeah. They're like, we're strong. We're humble. We work hard, you know, all these mm -hmm. things. And it's, um, because those, the, there are only a few traits which are the best of humanity. Mm -hmm. Like there aren't thousands to choose from. Yeah. They're very deep and they're, you know, multi-layered, but really if you're trying to create a virtuous hero, there's only one or two or three different archetypes it's going to fall into. Mm -hmm. So on that note, I was kind of thinking about my favorite heroes. And I started with Dante and Virgil, like his sidekick or uh, tour guide, really, from the Divine Comedy. Um, and these guys, I think, are an example of like the, the avatar for the reader kind of, kind of hero, in which Dante, the, the character, has a personality but he's mostly asking questions mm -hmm. and he, like the reader, is new to all these worlds and all these characters, a lot of the characters. So, you know, that, that serves like a narrative function of he gets to ask what's going on and someone gets to deliver kind of exposition to him that also helps us. But also it, it allows us to put ourselves in his shoes in the story. So mm -hmm. it gives us like a presence, you know, like the kids in, um, in Narnia. We have to have the kids in the story because otherwise everyone would be too familiar with Narnia. So mm -hmm. we wouldn't really be learning stuff. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. My first point was also about the virtuosity of the hero because my thought is in a lot of films or books or what have you, I find lately the stories tend to almost glamorize the unvirtuous, mm. which I think can be presented a protagonist who has a lot of flaws and they're overcoming their flaws, but at the end of the movie, they still have their flaws, which I don't think is ideal. It's not Solacene. Okay. I picture in the Solacene all of the heroes at the end of the story, it being at least reconciled that they have acknowledged they need to change in a way. Because in Back to the Future, Marty McFly, his hmm. flaw is that he's hot-headed. Right. And you think over the course of three films, this man traveling back in time to the future, he would realize, I need to cool off. <laughs> but he just doesn't. Like, Yeah, <laughs> I think it, I was, I mean, Back to the Future 3 is kind of a haze, but I think he, <laughs> he triumphs over it with some cunning or something like that. Perhaps. But also there's the, like what I felt watching that trilogy in quick succession was that he became a worse person over the over the movies. Like he started out as I think a pretty good hero. He mm -hmm. was just a cool guy. Yeah, he was nice. He was kind of smart. He was cool and yeah, talented. Then, yeah, talented. And then over time, it's like he just became more trouble. Mm -hmm. So I think he's not an example of a great hero. But to me, a good hero is they may be unvirtuous in ways, but it's definitely pointed out that these need to change. Either show them changing, or in the end, they're like oh, had I not been hot-headed, I would have not gone into that trouble. Teach the readers a lesson because mm. I think we need to keep being taught lessons. That's almost the point of storytelling to an extent is to learn something about yourself or the world and we can't be glamorizing bad behavior. Yeah, I play devil's advocate. I think there's a degree to which it's showing human nature. Mm -hmm. You know, it's like Odysseus has his hubris, his fatal flaw. And he kind of, um, it gets him into hot water. It gets him into trouble over time. Mm -hmm. And by the end of the film, it's, or by the film, by the end of the story, it's not explicitly shown that like he overcame it. Mm -hmm. It's just like, that's Odysseus. Yeah. So it's kind of 
like this is what separates the mortals from the gods mm -hmm. in no, the, in the Greek that. sense anyway. Yeah, and yeah, that makes sense. I definitely think that can be the case. Mm. But I feel like we tend to glamorize them too much. Like I can't think of a better word than that. Of like, like, the, like the Han Solo. It's like, yeah. cool, he's kind of a selfish guy. Yeah. But you need to have the Luke in there as well, who's just the good mm -hmm. hero. Exactly. The good character. And another thought I had was if it's going to be a Han Solo, then when you introduce the character, like explain where it comes from, perhaps, because then you can recognize in yourself or others like, oh, he's like this because he had this traumatic experience or this kind of, this almost inflating experience. And if you have that, try not to be like this. Yeah, I mean, it's it's obviously nuanced. Like in a kid's show, it has to be a lot more black and white than in an adult's show. But in the solo scene, I think we'll all be a bit more literate when it comes to consuming stories anyway. Hmm. So there'll be a bit more room to play. Did you have any protagonists, heroes that you related to a lot when you were growing up? Or now even? I have one, but I'm going to save it for the, for the organism. Of course you are. Spoiler. Basically, I think I've, I've told you this before. You know a lot about me. You it's tend true. to know a thing or two about me. But I always, the opposite of always, I never had role models. And I still don't really because I just find they're disappointing. Yeah, but being, fictional ones. No, I still never, I don't know what it is. I just can't, not idolize, but I don't really have people that I relate to when it comes to heroes. That's probably just a me thing. All I'm saying is that whenever we play Harry Potter Lego, you always want to play as Hermione. I want to so. be Hermione because I get confused when I'm Absolutely <laughs> <laughs> turning into a rat. Yeah. I had two notes on the hero such protagonists. And the first is that they, because it's like this topic has been talked to talked about to death really mm -hmm. so it's, it's hard to really say anything new about it um which is why i said it's, it's easier to rhyme about it even <laughs> to, to say things profound like that yeah but it's like the two things are that heroes good ones make us evaluate ourselves and ask how can we be more like him or mm -hmm. her um so it's like we see in them the best of ourselves mm -hmm. so if you are kind of studious and then you watch harry potter and you see Hermione on screen, mm -hmm. you're like, that's like me when I'm at my best when I'm studying. Mm -hmm. Or you see Harry do something courageous and you're like, you say, that's me when I'm at my best standing up to bullies. And so next time the opportunity comes to do your homework, it's like, I'm going to be like Hermione. I think that's really mm -hmm. how it should work, even for grown-ups, but probably with grown-ups um, not using kids' stories. Yeah, for sure. And the other part is that they make us evaluate the world to try to um, be critical but also imaginative in regards to how to promote or incentivize these kind of virtues, mm -hmm. these kind of traits. So it's like, how come there aren't many Hermione's running around public schools? Mm -hmm. Maybe our schools need to be more like Hogwarts. Yeah. Things like this. Interesting. I had two more ideas. Mm. One is that a good hero has to actually be different than everyone else. This obviously is rooted in the Avengers series too many because there's too many it's like they're all super they're all excellent and they're all super strong and super smart so it's like when you watch it it's like okay they're good heroes but they're not great heroes the way that before the avengers it, you'd watch captain america and you'd be like whoa he's quite a guy <laughs> or you'd watch captain marvel if that had happened before avengers and you'd been like whoa 
Mm-hmm. She's so crazy. She's here saving the world. Everyone else is just weak. That is true. <laughs> that is true. If that makes sense. But I feel like we often in shows tend to, oh, it's just an average guy, but he happens to save the day. And that's kind of their thing in the mm. show is the hero is the person who just keeps happening to save the day. And it's not actually, they're not actually set apart. And I feel like that doesn't make them a good hero. Yeah, I think we are reluctant today to build a statue of someone looking really, really awesome, you know, mm-hmm. by themselves. And there's like everything's, well, they had a great team around them. Yeah. Which is true, but uh, fiction doesn't always have to be true in that sense. Like it can be mythologized. Like that's kind of the point. Like we enjoy the stories about the, really corrupt police force mm-hmm. with the one guy who's standing up for justice mm-hmm. in it like that yeah for sure yeah i like that and my final point was that in the solo scene heroes will be well-rounded heroes they will it'll make sense that they're the good guy because i find it's easy to make it simple okay the hero in this story is going to be super smart and that's their thing but, like, who would Sherlock be if he wasn't also super When the books, he's, he's rough and tumble. He fights. Rough and tumble, exactly. Yeah. Like, he wouldn't be who he is if it wasn't for everything other than just his brains. Because yeah. it'd, be, it'd be almost annoying and just boring if he was just... Yeah. I mean, in the books, it's like Sherlock is eccentric, but also he, he genuinely kind of gets along with people. Mm-hmm. Still in a strange way, but in a, to bring it back to Seinfeld, as we have to do now on this podcast weekly... <laughs> In a Kramer-esque way where it's like, oh, he knows him? Like, why is he friends mm-hmm. with everyone? Like, he has this network of people. Yeah. And I do think that Sherlock's actually quite an interesting case study because now it's like the, the intelligence has remained, mm-hmm. maybe even been heightened to like a supernatural degree. Mm-hmm. But the rest of him, the show writers are like, well, we have to balance his character. So mm-hmm. everything else is taken a hit. Yeah, he has no like connections and he just <laughs> sits in his room. But... Yeah, that was one thing that I thought made a good hero is when they're well-rounded. Yeah, I mean, when it's like, again, with Conan, um, he is really strong, obviously, and really brave and really adventurous, but also really smart, um, good with people, good with women. Definitely the case. Um, so, But I think this, this goes back into how we kind of classify ourselves now in high school and, and afterwards. What am I? Am mm-hmm. I the jock? Am I the nerd? You know, what am I? And it's like people feel the need to only hone in on one thing about themselves, reduce mm-hmm. themselves to one trait. And maybe, actually, maybe that is a good shout that it comes from the way we portray heroes now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Or like with Odysseus. It's like, well, he's the crafty one. But actually, it's like he was a wrestler. Mm-hmm. So he was, he was a lot of things. Yeah. Also with Conan, something that I've been thinking about when reading is the world that he lives in is one that requires all the good things about him. Like mm-hmm. Those are all necessitated by the world. Um, adventure and bravery and strength, um, mental mm-hmm. and physical. And it's like, maybe we struggle today in stories to create heroes in the modern world because it's like so little is, re- is genuinely required of us to an extent. Like You can go above and beyond. And mm-hmm. those stories are always inspirational. But... It's, it's maybe easier than it ever has been to just kind of get by mm-hmm. um, without ever really assessing ourselves or the world or, or trying to become heroic. Like even the, world so- even the word sounds completely old-fashioned, archaic. Mm-hmm. 
maybe we can talk about that a little bit next week. Storytelling, the world, characters, personality traits, ourselves. <laughs> Link all these into a question. Okay. We'll do so over the week. We'll put them into a question generator, those keywords, <laughs> and get a question out of it. Yeah. And the question generator being Aaron's head. Speaking of my head, my favorite story <laughs> or my favorite hero, um, as you asked me, is I'll show you the image. This is the organism of the week. That was a really bad like transition. I really apologize for the cast doodle. Also, <laughs> um, it was rushed a little bit, and I didn't want to waste your markers. Your How markers. detailed is this going to be? Here you go. Oh, that would be Scooby Doo. Scooby Doo. It's not that crude. Scooby Doo. Yes, thank you. Uh, to say his full name. So, what is he? A doo? <laughs> a dude? No, you have to describe it for the people at home. Oh, my apologies. Because some people probably so, don't know who that is. It's possible. Scooby Doo is a dog. Right. A big brown dog with a kind of silly looking grin. Yeah. His tongue is hanging out. And he always wears a collar with his initials on it. That's true. His eyes are a little bit lopsided, but it's kind of funny because they're big and he looks right. like a kind of crazy guy. A hero? Definitely a hero. That's what I'm saying. And also, Seinfeld number two, I was inspired a little bit because yesterday we watched the episode <laughs> of Seinfeld where it's like, you explained it afterwards, the premise was just, what if Kramer was a dog? <laughs> <laughs> and I've always found that really funny in Scooby how the gang treats him as... Part friend, part pet. Mm -hmm. And also the rest of the world. He's yeah. just a, a dog that talks and people don't really mm -hmm. bat an eye over it. But I also like that Scooby-Doo doesn't talk. Like he, he talks. Right. But it's not like he's just articulate like Scrappy-Doo. Mm. Or like other talking animals where it's like, oh, they just talk like a person. Like he talks like a dog. Well, here's the thing. I have <laughs> a lot of thoughts about the development of Scooby as a character and the show over the years, as you know, mm -hmm. since 1969. And... I'll speak it into existence on the podcast. I will be the one who remedies this, this fallen franchise. I mm -hmm. want to one day take over Scooby-Doo and restore it to its former heights. But, hey, Gary Vee. Yeah, that's not really what we're, what we're here to talk about, though. <laughs> um, we're here to talk about the Great Dane, which is the dog that Scooby is mm -hmm. based off of. Just joking. I only have a few facts for them. I mostly want to talk about Scooby-Doo. Mm -hmm. So Great Danes, they are German of origin. They descend from hunting dogs from the Middle Ages. And they are known for their big size. The Guinness World Record holder for tallest dog at the shoulders, his name was Zeus. He was 111 centimeters. Oh my goodness. So 1.1 meters or so. So tall. Um, he was a great thing. Cool. And after about a year and a half, I think I read, they can reach 125, 130 pounds. Ooh. So they're big boys and big girls, mm -hmm. much like Scooby. Yeah. Any link to ghost busting or just or mystery solving? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> no. I didn't know what you were talking about. That ghost ghost busting. Well, they're kind of ghostbusters, mystery solvers. Um, no, but I had a few facts about like, or a few tidbits of information about the mm -hmm. origin of Scooby, and like, <laughs> where did this idea come from? It is a weird idea. So basically, when it was still in development, the concept for the mystery solving team with the dog that was that was the early seed of the idea well that makes sense there's police dogs yeah exactly yeah so they were going to be called mysteries five <laughs> instead of the mystery incorporated okay do you like that name mysteries five yeah mysteries five no it just sounds like a boy band i feel like mystery five 
has more of a ring to it. Mysteries Five yeah. is bizarre. Um, <laughs> Scooby originally played the bongos, and his name was Too Much. <laughs> too much. Yeah, that sounds like a two-year-old named it. Too much. Because <laughs> when you ask like a kid, "Oh, what do you think we should name a baby? What do you think we should name a pet?" It's always just like a word, like too much. <laughs> Table. Um, yeah. <laughs> So the, the designer for Scooby, his, he was Japanese. His name was Iwao Takamoto. Basically, he spoke to a great Dane breeder who I think worked at Hanna-Barbera, like the studio that made it, mm-hmm. um, who described all the ideal desired characteristics of a pedigree Great Dane. Okay. And then the creator just decided to do the complete opposite is what okay. he said. So he was like, I'm going to give it a hunchback, bowed legs, small chin, and it's just not even the right, the right colors. And that's why Scooby also kind of doesn't talk with a lisp, but has like a speech impediment. I see. Also, I was thinking about this um, when I was working on this. I think that might be one of the reasons he was such a hero to me as a kid. Because I feel like you don't see many like cool kids characters that talk like you. It's true. You know what I mean? Yeah. I had a, a minor speech impediment. No Scooby though. Um, <laughs> so I think in general, I talked before about my my Scooby phase, which was going on two and a half decades at this point. I was going to um, say, what <laughs> is it, 2006 to 2022? Um, <laughs> I think I, I, I see a lot of myself in Scooby. Yeah. I was, or still am, very, very cowardly. Mm. I like walking around on all fours. Um, <laughs> I bumble around. I will sometimes do things if you bribe me with snacks. You've been known to. Right. So that's kind of like my Scooby connection. What do you think about Scooby? Obviously, I like Scooby. it wasn't a part of your childhood like it was for me. No, I only started, I think I was with you the first time I watched Scooby Doo. I'm sure I had caught glimpses of it um, through other people's living room windows. But <laughs> <laughs> Is that what you used to do? <laughs> Basically, because I didn't really watch anything modern or old for that matter. Anyway, not into my childhood. But I really like Scooby-Doo as a character and all the films that I've seen and shows that I've seen, I've just really liked. Aesthetically, it's a really excellent time capsule. Yeah. And I really like the fashion and the vibes are all just so strong in all of the films. And I like that it's not afraid to just, this one's going to be set in space. This one's going to be set underwater. And like just kind of throw things at the wall Hmm. and they stick more often than they should, perhaps. Yeah, when it comes to Scooby Doo. Not, not, not only that, but it's a, it's a triumph of science. It's like <laughs> we're the skeptics. No, those monsters aren't real. It's mm-hmm. just a guy wearing a mask. It's yeah. probably a good thing for kids. But then yeah. sometimes on Zombie Island, they in fact are real and they will traumatize you for life. On that note, um, yeah, the fun question for today, the Solacini question, we each decided to come up with. 10 movies, which in an average solo senior would be the biggest movies. Okay, should we go one for one or just each of us do our list? We should go one for one, but I have, like, I went into a weird amount of detail, so I'll, maybe I'll try and, like, be concise. Okay. So mine are going in chronological order from release at the beginning of the year to the end of the year. Okay. So my first film will be released New Year's Day. I always like the idea of going to see a movie on a holiday. Yeah. So I like the New Year's because that's a universal holiday for the most part. It's just like the first day of the calendar. And it's going to be... You're not going to like my films, but... <laughs> Why not? This one's going to be a Joan of Arc movie. 
I think that's a great idea. And it's going to be called Hundred Years War. And it's going to be an epic drama, almost Les Miserables-esque. Yeah. And I thought I had two ideas. It could either A, be in a Renaissance style of animation sliced in with the live action or just live action with really, really strong set dressing and costumes. Because I think, I don't like when dramas, like period dramas, just make everything really dark. Yeah, and or, it's like, well, dull. it doesn't really matter what they're wearing. They make everything gray. But I want it to be like, bright and like super saturated colors but also epic technicolor exactly and i thought these little renaissance style in the style of that painting of joan of arc kind of would be sliced in at times but maybe not maybe it could just be the credits that's my first film so why wouldn't i like that That sounds right up my alley i don't know so what was your thinking behind this it's a giant period film it's um dramatic it's meaningful Yes. Purposeful. That's how we start the year off. Exactly. Because you don't want just like a kid's movie. You don't want to be launching the year with minions. <laughs> you don't want to be launching the year with a romance. Sure. that has another time of year. Sure. And so on. So I just thought that's kind of the season for like dense, epic. It's also going to be award seasons, which I think will carry on to the Good solo point. scene. Good point. So I think it's well-timed. Um, I didn't actually plan out like the release calendar. That's an area of detail where you did beat me to it. Nice. But I guess I'll try and map mine to yours. So the first movie is called Argus. And it is either a documentary or a fiction movie. I didn't really think about it that much. I guess my detail claim is falling apart (laughs) at the seams. Um, Not sure what what type of movie this is. Just came with the names. (laughs) Super detailed. Super, super detailed. It's about the, the Argus Observatory in Antarctica, which, if you recall, was one of the seven wonders of the solar scene that I came up with. Mm -hmm. So I thought it was like, that's, that's a neat cool. little touch. Now we're building a whole universe. People, if you're listening, you can buy the t-shirt that has these fake movies on. I don't know. Yeah, you um, so yeah, it's one of the seven wonders. And it's like, most people have never seen Antarctica because they'll never it's go true. there and they never will, even in the solar scene. It's true. And most, like a lot of people have never seen an image of Antarctica, which is snow. Yeah. So it's like, this is what the movies are for. They show you things you cannot see mm. that aren't real. Antarctica is real, but it's like either what I'm saying is if it's a fantasy, they show you things that aren't real. Yes. Or even if it's in the world, like the Planet Earth series, most Mm -hmm. people aren't going to go cave diving in those crazy places, but Mm -hmm. we get to see them on the show. Yeah. So I think that's what this will be, and it's January. It's wintry. Yeah. I would go see that. Imagine just walking into the theater and it's just so white on the screen. Yeah, this sounds excellent. I like it. I recently read a kids' book named Argus about a. Dragon, so for some reason it's like, oh, it's going to be an adaptation. Yeah. Good to hear your your reading's going well. Thank you. (laughs) Um, My second film will obviously come out on Valentine's Day. It's going to be a black and white Daphne and Chloe movie inspired by the 1916 Czech Republic produced. A remake. Yeah, it's going to be a remake of that. It's, yeah, I think it was, it was somewhere that we would never have watched it. Yeah. So not many people have seen it, but I just like the idea of a Daphne and Chloe movie. Sure. Yeah. That sounds like a good idea. Classically informed. Mm-hmm. Um, I also realized that, no, forget about that. I was going to say we're not being realistic, but this is a solo scene. It's not supposed to be for being realistic with like the, the types of movies that are grossing all this money, I mean. Yeah. So my Valentine's Day movie along those lines is called The Nixie of the Mill Pond. And it is a 2D animated grim fairy tale adaptation. I didn't know if this is like, is Disney still around in the solo scene? Should we get yeah. personal like that on the on the podcast? But <laughs> in any, in any case, out. they're not going to be allowed. It's like 
the Snow White, Sleeping Beauty style of um, yeah, of good. 2D animation. I I adore hand that drawn. style. Yeah, hand drawn. It has maybe like the the choral music in the background. And this tale, I'll admit, I shamelessly got it off of an article, like a BuzzFeed article that was like seven grim fairy tales that Disney should adapt mm -hmm. um, because I haven't actually read the fairy tales, even though I would love to. So basically it's that an evil Nyx, which was a mermaid, splits up a happy couple, takes the man, mm -hmm. and the woman uh, throughout the movie is using magical artifacts to try and get him back. And at the end, mm -hmm. of course, she would get him back. Nice. So I feel like just a really happy... Happy ending. They lived happily ever after. Romance. I don't actually see those that much anymore. No. And part of the reasoning, I think, studios and audience say, well, those all exist. They, were made, they made tons of those movies. Mm -hmm. But for one thing, kids don't watch those movies anymore. Yeah. And for another thing, it's a timeless idea. So yeah. we should keep making them. Also, next week, we should talk about romances. Yeah. I think we can talk about like romance stories in the solo scene and also romance as in uh love like that kind romantic but also romance is in like pastoral idyllic yeah stories maybe those are two separate questions actually but cool i like that yeah so my next film was also 2d animated it's set on a sheep farm in the alps where <laughs> sheep start the farmer's market okay. and the animals all sell their wares so like the chickens <laughs> maybe they sell painted eggs and the sheep they sell yeah, knitted things that sounds ridiculous it's just good. a kids movie and it's called animal farmers whoa yeah Ever. thank you so um, this is fun springy what are your thoughts on Sean the sheep Sean the sheep i didn't like it very much okay it was a slight it, the comedy was not up my alley would this be a comedy or just completely played straight it'd be like slightly funny but there'd be drama it'd be the, like the concept is just funny because it's inspired by another kid's book that i read but it's like, they're just normal farm animals. They wouldn't be like, it'd be a very humane farm where they're just harvesting milk and stuff. But are there any humans? They are. There are There'd be humans in okay. the beginning, but then they'd be like, we're closing the farm because we aren't making enough money. Oh. And the animals would all like rally together and be like, we have to save the farm. And they all start taking up their crafts, their hobbies that they've been doing in secret and selling them. I like that idea. So yeah. It's very animal friendly. Yeah. Animal rights. Nice. Um... I don't know if I should... Okay, my next one is very animal rights. Also, it's live action. It's a drama. And mm. it's like... Working title is Hannah, which is the name of The Last Panda. Okay. Because this is a solo scene. Pandas, unfortunately, went extinct or went very, very close to going extinct. Okay. And this is a drama about the pandas going extinct. And it's about like the poachers and the habitat loss versus the people trying to protect them. Mm -hmm. And also like the commercial uh, fame element that happens to this last panda mm -hmm. maybe that like there's a f maybe at the end they discover a bunch of other pandas but like there's one lasting captive captivity and it's like everyone starts wearing merch for it and is like mm -hmm. tweeting about it and all this stuff okay so it's like a historical drama at the time because it's going to be in the history yeah yeah i was trying to come up with one to do because it's hard when we talk about the solo scene because it's like it is the future and it's going to be post a lot of unfortunate things most likely yeah, yeah. when this has happened so yeah i was struggling with that and i didn't end up but i think one. this will be really really beautiful and it's like i know people have their have their comments and criticisms about how large mammals take up so much of the conversation regarding extinction mm -hmm. and habitat loss but it's like that's just what it, that's what people 
that's what touches us. Mm -hmm. Like people don't really cry about ants going extinct, however, mm -hmm. how sad that might be. Yeah. Um, I know there's like a giant biodiversity crisis with insects and also with certain types of plants, but it's like mm -hmm. that doesn't reach people. Yeah. Big animals do reach people. And I think on a film, Panda is also like inherently cinematic. Yeah. They're so. also the gateway. Yeah, of course. That's what species. I mean. Yeah. Gateway species. Mm -hmm. <laughs> okay. My next one, it's not funny, but it's a school's out movie. Just good vibes. We always like. Um, Movies that are like high school kids, I'm assuming, or middle school. They're going to be grade eight. So it's like... Okay, so they're right on the cusp. Yeah. Okay. So it's school's out, bunch of eighth graders. They're going into high school, so they're celebrating. Ooh. It's the Diary last the day of style. school, something yeah. like that. And they all decide to bike to the next town. Because oh. it's going to be a solo scene movie, so it's not a road trip movie. Yeah. You're also in eighth grade. But so I was, <laughs> <laughs> it was a solo scene road trip movie. But it's a bunch of these kids, and it's like, okay, the beginning drama would be one of them can't get their bike. Like the tires fought, their parents okay, will okay. let them go. So they have to like sneak the kid out of the house and they all bike to the next town and it's kind of like the spongebob movie where they're going and it's like they're just kids but then it's kind of the now that we're men it's the now that we're men sequel mm. but like unofficial and so it's a bunch of these kids they're going and then they have to stop for like food you know that sounds lovely i mean it sounds the most like movies that are already being made to what we mentioned mm -hmm. so maybe my my 2d animated one yeah in that this sounds like something that just came out in the 80s but that's not being made today. So exactly. I like that. That's so nice. that's my kicking off summer film. Okay. Um, mine like that. That's um, about kids. Actually, I had two, two about kids. This one. Yeah. It's called kid day. Okay. I just like that name. I don't know. So it's kind of like a mental health uh, drama, like under the surface, mm. but it's mostly a coming of age summer movie. As you were talking about, it's the, it was like the teen years. It's kind of humorous. Maybe it's about ball kids, you know, in uh, like working on a tennis tournament. Maybe know, it is. Because we saw those this weekend at the tennis tournament here in Montreal. And we were like, that would be such a rich uh, setting for, mm -hmm. for storytelling. And I have to shout him out. There was this one kid who was just absolutely seizing the day, seizing the moment when the camera was on him. He mm -hmm. was an off-duty ball kid. This isn't in the movie, <laughs> but maybe this will be a scene in the movie, actually. Maybe. This will be the opening. There was this one kid wearing a really bright shirt and he was just dancing for the camera like crazy. Yeah. Like standing on this tower <laughs> yeah we had so many speculations we're like is it like really really intense they all seem like they're having just like a blast yeah was, i yeah. think that'll be a fun setting for a movie so yeah that's what kid day cool it's very cinematic also i like it my next one is a japanese short film about a street vendor <laughs> and his pets this is what makes the, the list of the highest grossing movies in a year because okay i had a few this was kind of just like a sample this sure. was like an ai generated one on this list so basically, I thought there'd be a lot more, like film will just be a lot more international anyway. Yeah, yeah. So it doesn't have to be Japanese, but it's just like a film from somewhere other than wherever the solo scene. Hollywood is. Hollywood is. So it'll be an international short film because I think short films need to come back. I've already said that. And in the solo scene, I think they will. Like how long? This one, like half an hour. Yeah. It'll still get like a cinematic release and it's going to be kind of a documentary style but then it's going to be just like really personal on this one person. They're going to be a street funder because I was sitting on a street with street funders when I wrote this. And it's going to be called Milo. That's right. just the name of one of their pets. So why do you think this movie gets so big and so soon? Because it's just heartwarming. It'd be touching. It'd be like, oh, there's this person 
and they're just really happy to be selling their wares and maybe it's they're telling the story of their forefathers and how they were also street vendors or like it's just gonna be a really personal story and I feel like people will just really connect with it and be like that's interesting because that I feel like once in a while those stories about just really, really niche, really specific things get big. But a bit like Coda. Yeah. Except just... with some actual artistry. Yeah. No shade. I kind of deliberately didn't choose any foreign films just because I wanted, I don't know, I wanted this to all be mostly coming out of the solo scene Hollywood as we talked about it. Yeah. That's why I said this one was just like derivative, just like a list of types yeah, yeah, yeah. of things. It wasn't really a um, concrete idea. But my... This is the height of summer. This is the biggest movie of the year. Some things never change. It's Avengers 82, Electric Boogaloo. And so this is like, it's still part of the MCU. Okay. It's a fun cast of characters, okay. but it's, it's more standalone. Even though there's been 82 of these things, okay. this one, I'm just naming it. Like, that's not the actual name of it. Mm-hmm. But um, it's, it's just a movie in itself. Mm-hmm. It might be part, part of this wider mythology, but it's... Yeah works by itself there's a beginning there's the end it's a story yeah no not tie-ins not setting things mm-hmm. for the future not payoffs from previous movies it's just really like blockbustery yeah i don't have a problem with that i mean i used to love marvel before it got what it is basically mm. when there was just a few iron man captain america there was like even some of the tv shows i liked i was telling you yeah. but then it just there was this point where it's like you fall asleep one night and you wake up the next morning and there's just eight TV shows that have been released and a hundred films no, yeah. scheduled to come out. And it's like, it's not fun anymore. I like the, the tentpole, big cinema. Everyone's going to go and see this. I think that's mm. a cool idea, but it should stand by itself. So this is, this is like, it looks really cool and it's widescreen and there's really great effects. Like mm. that's something that annoys me about the, the Avengers movies right now, that the effects are trash for what they are. Yeah. So it's like, this is big budget and it looks it. And maybe mm-hmm. it's like set in a prehistoric kingdom or something like that. Cool. Like, it's really wild. It's, it's a full-on adventure. Uh, yeah, Avengers 82. Okay. So for mine, <laughs> which was also the height of cinema, this was going to be the big summer blockbuster. I put no detail. Okay. This is all it says. A sailing movie called Breakwater. Ooh, and that's Breakwater. it. That's all we know about it. But it's just going to be epic. Okay. Summary, but also just like action. Mm. It'll be an action film. What about it? It's so scene. Set on the waves. Well, it'll be set on the waves for one, which is a big part of solo scene. Right. Water. Maybe there'll be a turbine. Turbine. It'll be action-y because I was like, I didn't imagine there being a lot of like crime or heist movies, but this would be the closest thing. So maybe they're trying to rescue something from an island or a person from an island or someone else's boat is lost at sea and it's kind of a Bermuda Triangle situation. We don't know anything about this besides that there'll be a lot of beaches and boats and waves. Breakwater, coming soon. Sure. Um, I, I can see the poster for that one. Yeah. That's like the nice thing I can say about it. Thank you. Um, next movie is like the, kind of the smallest on my list. I'm not sure about its finances, but just the idea of it is mm-hmm. a very kind of contained movie. And it is called 75 LCM or 75 Life-Changing Minutes. So it's really abstract. I couldn't really come up with a plot for it, but it's like, (laughs) it's tree of life style. Like maybe there's some technological innovation like gravity or avatar where it's like, everyone's going to go see this because it looks so cool. And it's like a new experience. Mm -hmm. One idea I had for it was that perhaps it only airs in certain theaters that pop up. So you have to make a pilgrimage to go see it. Because like, like it's all over the wall. So Mm -hmm. regular theaters can't do it. 
So there's no yeah. streaming. It's so like this is a very solo scene. Yeah, experience. It's like that. There's okay. no streaming. Once you, once it stops airing, it stops. Like that's it. It's in the vault. It's in the vault, and yeah. it'll never come out. It'll be a big, big solo scene vault of films. Yeah. It's picture as like hoarding all the old movies. Imagine naming a movie <laughs> 75 life-changing minutes. The audacity. Yeah. So mine just get more and more epic from here on out. So number seven is an alternative historical film about a manipulative artist who schemed their way to fame. So it's like, I don't know who it would be. It'd be like a Da Vinci film or about Picasso. And it'd be like, they just schemed their way to fame and then skewed all of art after it because it's like, no one actually, like, in this film, it'd be like, no one actually thought Picasso was good. They all just thought it was silly. But okay. they somehow, there was some, like... They're getting, a fraud. Yeah, they're a fraud. Like, getting people to abdicate their places in the galleries so that his art was, like, all shown. I don't know who it would be, as I said, but I just thought it'd be a fun alternative historical film. And, yeah, about an artist. So that's all I really know. And that would come out September... Yeah, I mean, to be honest, that sounds like something Netflix would put out now. But it would be cool. Okay. <laughs> I don't know how Soasini that sounds. Um, my next one is very Soasini. It's called Solar Funk. Okay. Like Solar Punk, mm -hmm. Solar Funk. It's a musical, of course, futuristic mm -hmm. musical, uh, very stylish. It's very feel good. It has some La La Land, but set in the Solar Punk world mm -hmm. vibes to it. Technicolor and just like inspiring, not just from a heartwarming story perspective, but aesthetically. This is something cool. you've never seen before. It's a new type of world. Mm -hmm. Completely, wow. Excellent. Right. Yeah. Um, after September comes October. And obviously in October, there will still be a solo scene Halloween. <laughs> it might be a bit more traditional than it is now, but less consumer, but there will still be Halloween. And so it's a horror film, and it's a mashup between Midsummer and those scenes in Batman where they're in like the mansion and playing and stuff like that. And I picture it being so like kids, because I find kids terrifying. Of course. Yeah, like don't let me, don't make me go near a park. And so spooky kids in this really bright and fancy mansion. And maybe it's like, I picture there being a greenhouse. That's kind of, what film was there a greenhouse in? Picnic at Hanging Rock. Yeah. That scene where someone like falls to the roof of the greenhouse. Basically just a conglomerate of all of those scenes and those bright <laughs> horror movies. Because I like those because I feel like it gets people out to watch them who don't aren't comfortable with like the kind of traditional aesthetic of horror films. Like I don't like the traditional aesthetic. It's almost just like it's just makes me feel grimy. It scares you, in other words. Bright movies. It's don't a really grimy one. <laughs> they anyway, it'll be a bright horror movie What's because the villain? That's very Solacini. Unseen. Oh, Lovecraftian. Like, yeah, like a paranormal, but I think it'll be more psychological. Mm, probably just a psychological threat. Okay. Like a paranormal. What? I, I didn't have a Halloween-specific movie. Mm -hmm. um, my next one is kind of very low budget. It's called Anytime, Anywhere. And it's made by some kids. And okay. it was like they submitted it, so they were just using their... Their phones, or they won't be phones in the solo scene, but like their own cameras. Mm -hmm. um, and they're just like genuine wonder kids. Okay. It was made by basically this little team of Spielbergs who got together in a small town in the middle of nowhere. Hence I like the name, this. Anytime, anywhere. And they made this movie. I don't know what it's about, but they submitted it to film festivals and it gained traction and just completely blew up. 
maybe maybe it was released for free on the internet i don't know but it shot them to fame instantly because that's what i think the internet should be doing and mm -hmm. technology should be doing for arts but mm -hmm. it isn't right now yeah and so soon it will be cool my next is a symphonic drama is what i'm calling it okay so it'll be a musical but not in the traditional sense it'll just be more a film about music so i'm picturing this being a bit like black swan so it's not a horror movie or like as spooky as Black Swan, but it's about the symphony and the opera, which the reason I picked this is because I picture in the solo scene, opera and symphony coming back and yeah. having a really great resurgence. So it'd be a topic that people would be interested in. And I think this would be an interesting setting, again, similar to the ball kids, just like <laughs> it'd be a cool setting for a film in the orchestra pit. And it doesn't have to be a documentary. I don't think it should be a documentary, but just like a... Kind of like behind the scenes, behind the drama. scenes drama, yeah, um, but not too boring because I feel like there's a lot of those that already exist. So I, I keep like Black Swan, Suspiria were like the two inspirations for this, but those are both like ultra spooky. Um, so it's not like that, but it's it's just a little bit of an unease to it. An unease, exactly. There is a like an Easter egg in the first scene, like the wide shot of the symphony. You are playing the cello. You're it's one exactly of the people on the I stage thought. playing the cello. <laughs> My next one along those lines is not really along those lines. It's an educational, environmental superhero movie. Cool. His name is Captain Planet. So obviously he already exists, but this is like the, the film adaptation of that. Did you ever watch that cartoon? I didn't. Me neither. But um, <laughs> I feel like I would have enjoyed it a lot. I think it was kind of like from the, from the Care Bears era. So like the villains, they're all talking about like nuclear waste and stuff like that. So it's kind of outdated environmental ideas, but still charming. Mm -hmm. They can be updated for the solar scene, environmental, sustainable uh, ethic that everyone holds dear, which is why it became such a big movie. Um, the film is made like all sustainably. That's what they kind of brag about. Ooh, that'd be cool. Or maybe that's just the I norm in the solar scene. I think it's going to be the norm, but know. this maybe would be um, ultra. The only real detail I had was that the villain is going to be called Verminous Scum. He was from the list of Captain Planet villains I found on Wikipedia. He's half human, half rat, and represents disease, drug use, and urban blight. Okay. So all things that we like to vilify in the solo scene. Mm -hmm. Your last one? My last one also has mermaids, similar to one of yours. Yep. And it's a sci-fi set underwater in a future society that has mermaids, divers. So it's just like there's people living under there. But it's said in the future, so it's like we've discovered that all along there have been underwater societies, but we've Ooh. had emerged. So there's this history, perhaps, this like implied history that there was a war, there was some kind of a clash that happened between the two groups, but now they're living in harmony. And yeah. perhaps they could have escaped some kind of an environmental disaster on land. I don't really know, but it's like a positive film just kind of set in the society. It would just be like a a story about family there maybe about the monarchy that perhaps could exist like just mm -hmm. something i don't even know what the story would be but that was mainly just a setting idea and a name idea which i really like called submarine society submarine society Thanks. i'm noticing a nautical theme through your movies a little bit or maybe just a theme of showing cool things on the screen like not really normal stuff you've got big yeah. period movies you've got the boat one you've got the underwater one the big mansion, it's like the, the setting, the, the, the visuals of it is very important to the place. Yeah, for nice. sure. My final one won't be new to you. It's called Birds in the Slammer. 
And this is a 3D animated movie. Again, not sure about the studio setup, maybe Pixar, maybe otherwise. When I first pitched it to you uh, five or so years ago, it was a Pixar idea because mm -hmm. we were on the topic of the next question, big fan fiction uh, idea people for Pixar for some reason. Like that yeah. was all our conversations reverted to like, what is Pixar doing with yeah. this? And they should be doing this. And we, we would just, that was what our conversations were. So Birds in the Slammer, do you want to describe what you remember about it? Birds in the Slammer, I don't remember much, honestly. Me neither, um, <laughs> except for the name. Which it's is, a sticky name. Uh, it's so. a winner. And you can already see the poster, 3D animated. It's like these criminal birds. Mm -hmm. And I, I think it might be kind of Iowa Dogs-esque in just the way the characters are and the way the humor is kind of irreverent. Yeah. But in the Pixar style, if you recall, I also had a short film that I had like, they should do this before it. Yeah, I remember that. Handcastles. So Handcastles is a short film. <laughs> what do you call it when it's those films that it's like they were planned and they got to like pretty much everywhere except for actual production? <laughs> yeah, so that's canceled. Yeah, so that's hand handcastles all shot with people's hands. So you know like but not shadows. Oh yeah. With the hands kind of like in those America's Got Talent docs where it's like a bunch of people and they're making shapes with their bodies yeah. and telling a story. It's going to be like that with hands. So we'd have a lot of hand actors, you know, like really expanding that market for all those people who really want to get out there with their jazz fingers. So that is hand castles. And that precedes Bad Disney Slammer. And that rounds off our 20 film, two-year blockbuster, so a scene description. Mm -hmm. Thank you. So finally, fanfic, which I very, very narrowly avoided mm. because, oh gosh, I don't even know if you know this about me, so maybe. Let's hear it. That's what this platform is for. So in middle school, that was when I was basically let off to explore pop culture a little bit on my own. I was yeah. allowed to read Hunger Games, watch Hunger Games, and... Because I went from zero to 100, I was very obsessed with <laughs> fandoms. Fandoms is what you call them. Make it sound like breaking Amish. That's what it was. So, <laughs> anyway. Oh, my goodness. I don't know. If, anyway, everyone in my high school thought I was Amish, for those of you who right. don't know me. So, you wanted to write stories about Katniss. But I never... The thing is, I didn't know what Reddit was until I started dating you. Yeah. So, I... Or Tumblr. Like, okay. I never had a Tumblr account, so I never knew that fanfic was a thing. Mm. So, fortunately, I never got into it because it could have been bad. Did I you write them? Do you have no. them on paper? Oh, okay. I never wrote them. I never even thought of them. Oh, I didn't okay. know about the concept. Like, my mind never went to, oh, what if Katniss had have gotten with Gail instead of Peta? Like, literally never thought of it. Yeah. But I was close. It would have, it was just one... <laughs> Google One. click away and I would have been a different person. <laughs> that would have changed your life. So fortunately, I never got into that. I did have an why Instagram say, account. Why do you say fortunately? Because I feel like <laughs> that's not a community that I would have done well in. Mm. It seems like it has... You think those online communities you call them exist in the solo scene? No. I think fan fiction, as we... Our question was about the history of it. Yeah. And I like the idea of the... Sherlock Holmes societies, people, there were fanzines of Jane Austen and people writing fiction, but I'm, I stand, I stand with J.R.R. Martin on this one. Probably one of the only things we hold in common is that it's a bad exercise for aspiring writers. Is what, that's a quote from him. Yeah. And I agree with that. 
I feel like all fiction, as we've said like a billion times, is just a version of something else. But I feel like profiting or just getting stuck in these loops of, oh, what if Harry and Hermione had gotten together? It's not actually productive mm. for anyone. It might be fun. And as I said, maybe there'd be these fan clubs that like talk about it. It's kind of fun to talk about. But the, the way it exists online just blows my mind and often has a bit of a debaucherous undercurrent, well, as one yeah. could say. <laughs> I think it's, it's interesting because there's, there's two different things. There's like, what is fan fiction? How do we define that? And that's just any work of fiction set in a world created, By set within else. another world of uh, work of fiction, basically. Mm -hmm. So it's like, I'm going to write about what happened in Hogwarts after Harry graduated. Yeah. And that's like fan fiction. Yeah, or it'd be what if Harry and Hermione and Ron lived underwater. That would also be fan fiction. Yeah, but that, that's like even further within it because that's using the same characters, not just the mm -hmm. same world. Um, so there's like the, the broad idea in itself is not inherently a bad thing. And I think yeah. that's, that's how a lot of, it's interesting to use that quote because that is how a lot of writers get started. Yeah. It's like, I'm watching this episode of SpongeBob. I'm going to write my own episode of SpongeBob. Yeah. Like that's how I started. I think that's how a lot of uh, early writers start now, especially with how media um, stories present themselves to us so fully now. Like SpongeBob was presented to us, and there is this full world of Bikini Bottom with a cast of characters, and they already have all their relationships, and everything is, we know how everything looks and everything sounds. Mm -hmm. And that kind of, um, if, if we were to get inspired by that, um, the, the imagination doesn't take us very far away from it because we mm -hmm. already see and hear everything. Yeah. Whereas, let's say you, you were just reading a book about Spongebob and then you wanted to write a story about it. Mm -hmm. Your story would be more different from the book. This is like so convoluted. But your story would be more different from the book than if you wanted to write a TV show inspired by Spongebob mm -hmm. because you can see everything in the TV show. Like there's not much yeah. room for imagination. In a book, there's a ton of room for imagination. Mm -hmm. If I played to you a song about Spongebob um, without you having seen anything else and you were to write a story about it, it would be wildly different because mm -hmm. the song is so abstract. So it's kind of like on, on levels like that. But I do think uh, it's, a, it's a habit that young creatives should probably not linger in. I mean, if someone mm -hmm. really, really adores Middle Earth, like Tolkien's Middle Earth, the Lord mm -hmm. of the Rings world, and just wants to spend time in there. Because mm -hmm. that's, I, I, that's the other thing that I think fan fiction does. It allows you to spend more time in Hogwarts, more time mm -hmm. in Middle Earth, because JK only wrote seven books and yeah. a couple add-ons. So... We can spend hours reading all the fan fiction or writing it indeed. Mm -hmm. um, there's an extent to which it's okay, but there's also a line that you can cross where people spend their whole life on the Harry Potter tumblers. Mm -hmm. And it's like, that's not Solacine. It's not Solacine. There's yeah. really not much of a way to put it other than that, I found. Because it's like, basically, I read like eight articles. Mm. I just kept reading about it because I was so sucked into it because I really, I knew it existed. Yeah. Um, Have you ever read one? No. I've never read one. And it's like, it's not all bad. Like I know that a lot of it is just like, not a lot of it. Some, Some of, of it, it yeah. is just like... Good writing. Good writing or it's just, oh, as you said, what would happen at Hogwarts after everyone had graduated and all these stories had played out? Mm -hmm. And it's like... That's the line to me. It's like, yeah. but once, like when I was reading all these articles, it said basically there was the line. It was drawn. People were writing basically. I mean, someone wrote 
Park to the Don Quixote before Cervantes wrote one. Like, yeah, it's yeah. been always going on. People read something and they're inspired. Then they write a sequel or they write whatever. I mean, you're literally reading Conan, which was compiled by... Yeah, that's that's the other thing with, with the Conan stories. I'm uh, reading the original creator, Robert E. Howard. I don't remember the exact number, but he only published a certain number of stories. Mm-hmm. Since then, other writers have either finished his stories or just created a lot of new ones that mm-hmm. have also gone into the Conan canon. Conan yeah. canon. So basically, in the soul scene, I imagine that will still continue to exist because it's just always existed. I mean... Yeah. Or Sherlock Holmes. Like, yeah. Those are still being published, new ones. Mm-hmm. So that's the line. But basically people, and it's just kind of a symptom of modernity, look for more extreme things. So it's like, okay, <laughs> it's going to get violent or it's going to get... Not even PG-13. It's going to get R-rated. Yeah. And it's just because we get bored with writing stories or reading the same stories set in the same world. But it's like, if you get bored reading stories set in the world, that's your sign to move on. <laughs> like, okay, I've read a hundred fanfics about us, like set in the, in Middle Earth. Then you need to just move on and not <laughs> be like, well, I need something more extreme, something more exciting. Because then it just seems unhealthy and like a bad <laughs> condition or state to be in. Mm. Yeah. Um, obviously on the podcast we try to keep it as you say PG but why do you think like genuinely why do you think fan fiction typically is so like skewed towards romance or it's like I was I remember joking about this in high school with a friend we were talking about Harry Potter and we were both big Harry Potter fans but then the topic of fan fiction was brought up and we were like how come it's always about what if Dobby and the sorting hat were married it's like, it's always just these two obscure characters. Like, what if Filch and Hermione got together? It's like, it's like yeah. ridiculous stuff that doesn't make any sense. Um, but why, do you, why is that always? Why is it always skewed towards romance? I have a, one idea is that I think it's because these communities, we don't realize because they're online, but they skew, I'm going to guess, incredibly young. Like, I don't think, I think most of the people on there are tweens or teenagers or yeah. children. Like, I think there are some adults, but I genuinely think a lot of it, like WordPress, Tumblr, all that stuff is young people who are just learning about uh girlfriends and boyfriends and things like that and so mm-hmm. they take like these universes and they they treat it like um like when you have action figures and you're like making them kiss mm-hmm. i think that's what they do with the characters often in fan fiction yeah because there's this shipping, that's the word right shipping exactly basically yeah there's that which i didn't even think of was the just like immaturity of the people on there, perhaps literally immature or just immature emotionally. Mm. And I think also there's the, as I said, just always wanting something more extreme or more, there's that like reaction that we have when something's just like absurd. It's just like, that's what comedy is, but it's not always comedy. It's just like, you can find something funny, shock. Exactly. So it's like, you need to keep trying to shock people it's like how all those YouTubers and TikTok people get famous, like making a milkshake in the toilet. It's like, this is just absurd, but you can't look away because it's like a car crash. And they know that. And the people writing it know that. And the people reading it, you can read it and be like, this is silly, but you keep reading it. And then you're like, kind of want something else. Yeah. I mean, even yesterday I was listening because I listened to the news in podcast form. And there was a podcast topic that I... Like, I really, really don't like, um, what are those podcasts called? The mystery ones? True crime. True crime, which I know, like, 
90% of podcast listeners listen to true crime. The other 10% listen to the news. And then there's the 0% who listen to us. So <laughs> <laughs> um, it was skewing very true crime, um, the podcast. And I was like, I don't like this because I know it's just this sick, like, <laughs> so aggressive. No, it's but like it, when it's you like can't with Netflix, with with the, with Netflix shows. Each one yeah. is going to get more crazy and more mm-hmm. R-rated yeah. and more wild. And the same with true crime, right? It's yeah. like the kills are just getting more and more mm-hmm. ridiculous. But like the thing is, I know that about myself that I don't like listening to it because it seems archaic, perhaps. But I still listen to it because I was sucked in. I was like, well, I need to know how this happened mm. or how we got to this point or whatever it was. And it's hard because it's like, if there are young people on there or people who are just like, really bored scrolling on these fan yeah, fiction sites it. it's like they're gonna not listen to themselves and be like no this isn't right i yeah. shouldn't be listening to this or reading this or thinking about it um and then they just keep doing it and then they get sucked in i think it's also like this reaches past the jurisdictions of our storytelling topic but it's also that life is kind of boring lacking adventure for so many kids now that you finish reading the seven books of harry potter oh, great, now I have to go do my homework. Mm -hmm. Like, you don't want to live in the real world because Mm -hmm. for kids and for a lot of adults as well, it's mundane or undesirable. Like, you'd rather Mm -hmm. just keep living in Hogwarts. And so this is a way to just keep doing that. Like I said, I don't think it's always bad because it's always happened through history. And sometimes it does inspire great, great works. Mm -hmm. I mean, Fifty Shades of Grey was a Twilight fanfic, I'm pretty sure, originally. Um, I don't think that's that's great works, but like sometimes it pops up in places that you don't expect it. Mm-hmm. And I I think, as I said, for young writers um, or young creative people, it's a great kind of training wheels exercise, mm-hmm. and and it it does gen, uh, kind of demonstrate a, a kind of mastery of the of the world or like of the reading of yeah. it, of the analysis of it. I know this story so well, and I know not just the surface stuff, but what makes it tick so well that yeah. I'm going to try and write a story set there. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I, It's not a bad thing inherently, but it just almost always is bad. I mean, I've never re- read one because I've tried, and I just can't get through it. Yeah. What you just said about it being like a mastery of the reading, perhaps in the solo scene, it could be a basically a supervised activity assigned in school. Yeah, okay, now write assignment. the next. I mean, did you ever have that as an assignment? I'm sure we did. Like, we, It seems like something that would... It was an option for one of our projects. It was like, write a chapter in the style of this mm-hmm. which is kind of kind of fan fiction in a way yeah so i think that uh i have a few more things to say one is concerning 50 shades because it's often held up as a defense for <laughs> fan fiction writing because it's like well you could become a millionaire yeah. if but basically what i read a lot of people saying about this book is i don't even know the author's name but basically it was 60,000 there's like 60,000 twilight fanfics out there if not more so like one of them was just bound to be taken up (laughs) it could have been any of them is basically what these articles were saying but it just happened to be this one and it's like you really can't the person who wrote 50 shades you really can't almost give them credit for it because it's like (laughs) they read perhaps thousands of versions of this story that they're writing yeah and they just happened to make the one that Mm. was the right balance of crazy but also like realist i really don't know what yeah, Fifty Shades is, but we probably shouldn't speak on it, uh... <laughs> um and my next two things were just about the history of fanfics because i was curious basically the word only came up after copywriting did because before that 
like you would consider the Odyssey a fanfic, basically, because it's just a iteration of a bunch of stories that they've heard. Yeah. And it's just so it's just too confusing before publishing rights. But I didn't know that Amazon had a whole thing. Um, in twenty thirteen it was called Kindle Worlds, oh, where wow. it was just a place to publish fanfics and basically you'd buy a Kindle version and you would make sixty percent if you were the one who wrote it. Mm. Um but then it got shut down because it was getting a bit too too raunchy. No. Oh. Unfortunately it was always always raunchy. raunchy. But it was getting too cloudy with the parody laws. People oh, were just like basically okay, publishing. Yeah, yeah. yeah. The books and then also it arose separately in the east and the west and in the east it arose in the 60s and 70s and people were publishing entire mangas inspired by their series but like they were offshoots and then it was a whole industry for a while and then again copywriting laws hmm. intercepted it's an interesting thing mm-hmm. like i say I, I do think it's like in young people it can be healthy yeah. I'm reminded of a certain parody that you once made, inspired by one of your favorite Disney movies, Disney musicals. Yeah. Should we, we won't say the name. No. Okay. <laughs> Someone <laughs> might try and track it down. Um, okay, well, here's a question to close the episode on. If you were to write a fan fiction, mm-hmm. what would be the story that inspires it? I'm very... Mine, I guess, as I already said, would be Scooby-Doo. I'm very unoriginal, and I think it would be Harry Potter. Because that is just such a... Like, I understand why people want to write something set there. Yeah. Because it is such an interesting world. There's so many hints of, like, even, like, one generation before. Like, what was Harry's parents like? And one generation after. Like, there's those two, specifically, the generation before and the generation after. Your mind really goes there and is like, well, I wonder what it was like. Mm. Um, I never read the lot. The Lost Child? Yeah, no, The, the Cursed Child. The I Cursed think. Child. Don't want to, because that seems that like either. the worst. Yeah, well, ironically, the criticism people often levy at it is it's like a bad fanfic. It seems like it's just a bad fanfic. So, so yeah. <laughs> I'd rather just let your mind go there than try and actually put a, put a pen to paper. Nicely. Thank you all for listening. Hope you enjoyed the episode. Catch you on the flip side.